Welcome to the Juniper and Journey podcast with Keziah Ritter and Lindsay Heslop. We're so thrilled that you're here. This is a podcast dedicated to celebrating the strength and stories of women, good, bad, ugly, and beautiful in their own words. We believe in the power of real conversations, honest confessions, and playful nostalgia. You'll get to hear all kinds of perspectives from all kinds of women about all kinds of things. We'll talk about life and motherhood and loss and faith. We'll reminisce about the good old days, first loves, and old flames. This is going to be fun. Things might get a little rowdy, but we can guarantee that it will be meaningful, and we hope each woman's story inspires you towards empathy, compassion, and healing. Okay, let's get started. So today we have Lynn with us. She's a family friend of mine and one of those women that you just instantly kind of feel connected and comfortable with. And uh, I'm really excited that you're here. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So Lynn actually helped me out a little bit in the beginning after I had Sonnet. And do you remember I needed someone to hang out with her and you were like, sure, I can do it. Uh, I have a doctor's appointment. And I'm just going to take her with me. And I, <laughs> at the time, I mean, she was, I don't know, a few months old, but yeah, still in the carrier. Yeah. And at the time I was like, you know, any outing myself that I would do alone felt like the biggest deal ever. ever. <laughs> they require so much stuff. I know they do. But she was just like, oh, sure. I'll watch her and I'll bring her along with me. And that's, uh, yeah, no biggie. And I was like wide-eyed like when she's an angel oh my goodness and superhuman yes life and i was just so impressed is, life with kids is you just do what you need to do <laughs> i know so thank you i love that you were just like yep easy peasy i'm just gonna bring her with me oh, and i was like that's a great memory yeah i love that so uh and i think that's just part of a little part of why I love you and your outlook on life and the things that you've done and do. And um, I think just another moment for me where I was like, I want to be Lynn when I, get, <laughs> when I grow up. Yes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so Lynn, how many kids do you have? So I have two biological sons, one from each marriage. Gotcha. And then, um, Tons of nieces and nephews, yeah, mostly by marriage, um, and lots of extended foster kids. Yeah, so lots. Yeah, lots. So tell us a little bit, I would love to know, because this is not something that I really knew about you, but can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your first marriage and meeting your your first sure. husband? And well, that was your typical high school sweetheart. Oh, really? Okay. And your... Um, low self-esteem and you mm. just kind of keep with that first guy and got mm. married at 19 and um we were actually together for eight years but we ended up going to college four years after high school and then while there um had our first son and then we got uh transferred to denver actually mm. i got recruited um by at&t okay for a job here and so off we came to Denver, not knowing a soul. Wow. But then within six months, we split up. And so my son was about two. Oh, and, wow. And um, so it was a whole new journey in a new city, being single with a kiddo, and uh, just kind of a whole new life. Right. Yeah. 
Can you tell us a little bit about, like you mentioned, being in a new place, being, you know, now without your partner? Yeah. Um, I think some of it was finally for the first time I could be financially independent and didn't feel that dependence. And so this isn't working for me. I can be independent. I want to go. Yeah. Right. And, you know, it's one of those you make a decision because you're sort of constrained. And then afterwards you go, what did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing this by myself. Am I crazy? But um, fortunately, where I worked was a lot of young people. So there was a lot of interactions, a lot of camaraderie. Um, I started playing volleyball, softball, soccer with all these people at work. There were all these leagues. So it was very busy. Um, Socialization was easy Mm -hmm. and it was fun. Most people didn't have a kiddo. So that part was complicated um, because they were generally younger out of college. Mm. Um, but it was easy to kind of quickly move on with my life. Yeah. So, but you still didn't have any family here or anything. No, right? no. Yeah. So it was like you kind of built a community around you, but from kind of from work, right? Exactly. Yeah. And everybody was brought in. Like okay. most people were, were recruited from outside of Denver. Transplants. Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. And it was a time when... It was a huge growth there. I think there was like 300 people when I came in the research and development part. And out of the 300, there were seven women. Wow. And so like the, I think I was hired like two years later, there was a big push for women and people of color. I would love to talk more about this job you had and, and, and what year was it even? This was 1979. Yeah. I know I'm old. (laughs) um, but um, and it was a time and you know and and it's really sort of interesting that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg just passed because it brought up a lot of stuff that I went through really that there was a big push you know the women's liberation movement was really heavy at that time and because there were so many of us brought into that environment um, we were such a threat Mm. And so it was very interesting to watch. And um, AT&T was so supportive of us and um, gave us a lot of encouragement and support and even training. Like women could take this class. It was a week, 40 hours of assertiveness training. Oh, wow. Like they really wanted us to be strong, powerful women and, you know, in the workplace. Right. So they really provided the training and stuff for that now did all the men always support that no they at that point still felt like we were taking some man's job Hmm. right and um at one point i was promoted and this guy um came in my office and said the only reason you were promoted is because you were a woman Wow. And I said to him, you know, it's not a smart thing to say to your new boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got him. So it was a very interesting time. Yeah. I mean, looking back, um, seems like forever, but it's stuff that sticks with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And feel like, you know, watching a documentary on RBG the other night is like, you guys just like the 16-year-old in my house, I'm like, 
you just don't understand what we went through and why I want you to be so strong because people fought for this. Right. You know, for people like you coming to really take advantage. How did you keep a a sense of poise? Or in that, I just, I could imagine it feeling so, like you're describing, just emotional and you're surrounded by it all the time and it is, it's it's a battle. So how did you remain, I don't know, encouraged? Um... You know, it's interesting, and it does seem like so long ago, but um, you find, and it's one thing thinking back over my life, there's always been somebody who's been a key support and a mentor along the way somewhere, like I couldn't have done it without them. And there was, um, so you always knew who your key supports were, and that's where you had to go to, you know, in your times of frustration or to brainstorm ideas or to get you through something because of course all my peers were male all my Mm -hmm. superiors majority of them were male and um so you had to find those that were supportive of you because you knew the ones that weren't you know it was usually pretty obvious but you know like there was one key guy um that actually came to my university that interviewed me that then became like my boss. Okay. And he then, even when I had moved to a different department, kept his eye where I went. And then when there was this opening, seeked me out to apply for it. Mm. Yeah. Did you ever have a voice maybe in your own head that was like, yeah, maybe I did only get this position? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and there were those... I mean, like you knew, okay, I had an upper straw, right. no doubt, hmm. right? Interesting. Um, <clears throat> but also thinking, but I could justify it in that, but there were all these other people that had deserved it that didn't get it right? just because they were a woman or a person of color. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, now you got to do 150% right. because you did get this chance, yeah, well, yeah. you know? I met David at work, and he likes to tell the story that, (laughs) so we worked in these, um, we were doing software development for phones, okay, Mm -hmm. so like all those fancy features you have on phones um, that used to only be in business offices, you know, this (laughs) is where they started in the early 80s, like call on hold and conferencing and transferring and all that good stuff, so... Um, we'd have big labs, big built rooms of just all these phones because you had to try stuff out. Hmm. So you'd build software, you'd download it, and then try it. So like if you had to do like a three-way call, you'd have different kinds of phones. This kind of phone, a rotary phone, this phone. <laughs> and um, so there were these big um, banks of phones, and sometimes you could only pe- see people's legs. Oh, funny. And um, so... I used to wear those um, knee highs, you know, that were fancy, opaque, funny, <laughs> nice, fun designs, right? Yeah. And so um, David always says he was, his eye caught my fancy little knee high stockings. And when he, he learned, could see. yeah, and when he learned they only went up to my knee, he was so disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> But that's what caught his attention. 
you know, we all worked very closely together and just, I don't know, one day he started hitting on me and I'm like, what are you doing? You have a girlfriend. And he's like, oh no, we broke up months ago. And I'm like, nah, 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 I'm not falling for that. And he's like, really? And then I started thinking about it. I was like, yeah, she hasn't come. She was from Texas, going to school in Texas. I'm like, yeah, she hasn't been around in a while. <laughs> Maybe he's telling the truth. Yeah. And that's where it all started. Wow. Oh, I love that story. I love that too. So did you guys date for a while before you got married? So David is black. And so neither of our families were very excited about this. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember, this was 32 years ago. And um, it was only like 20 years after it was even legal for, wow. right. you know, uh, us to be married, right? But um, he went home for his dad's birthday, and I don't know, talked to his dad, and his dad said, yeah, it's okay. Hmm. And he came back and said, yeah, I feel pretty solid. We should do this. So that was in July, and we got married in September. Mm-hmm. So um, we had a really cool wedding. We'd been to like four or five of, you know, because we were hanging out with people the same age, right? All the weddings and kind of come at the same time. All the babies kind of come in the same time, right? Hmm. And um, so we wanted to have something very comfortable. And everybody had kind of done the same thing, and we wanted ours different. Mm -hmm. Because we are different. We always say we are as different as the colors of our skin. Mm -hmm. And we are absolutely opposites in every way. (laughs) But so we had this really cool wedding out in the mountains, and so it was comfortable. We played volleyball and softball and had a big barbecue and... We snuck off into a van and changed into clothes that we had rented, which were turn-of-the-century clothes. Oh, I love and, that. And um, David had a top beaver top hat. Oh, that's fats. amazing. And so it was really fun, mm-hmm. um, you know, just because it was hard for both our families. Yeah. And um, so just trying to make it a less formal, more comfortable. Right. Yeah. Now, what about, you You know, you talk about your community that you had built friends from work, that kind of thing. Were those people, you know, excited and on board and supportive of your marriage to David and um, your relationship yeah. with him? Yeah, and because it was a very diverse, because they actively recruited a diverse population, um, they were very supportive. Although right. it was kind of interesting how, <clears throat> you know, there's these subtle differences. Hmm. Like I remember this one older white gentleman that said when I said we were getting married said oh I didn't even realize you were dating so like subconsciously like I wouldn't have even put you two together Hmm. where like other people was like it was obvious right you know so it is that subtle difference Hmm. um just of even perception right sure right um so then eventually you and David had another son, or you had another son, but you had a son with David, right? Right, right, who's now 29, and, um, and that was the one advice my mom had said was, just don't have any kids. It's oh, so hard on them hmm. to be a mixed race, you know, and that was out of, you know, not out of prejudice, but out of fear for the child, Hmm. You know, not to have somebody go through that. And that's one of the saddest things is that, I mean, I feel like, I mean, both my sons are awesome. But Jacoby's a really special 
person, and I'm just sad she never got to meet him. Wow. Hmm. So, yeah. And wow. we'd had a couple miscarriages before he was born, so it was a while before we had him. Wow. So you guys had kind of been trying to get pregnant and had... Yeah. T- tell us about that a little bit. Um, so that was hard. Yeah. Um, it's so much harder than you anticipate. Um, just because it's amazing how you so quickly resonate with being pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, in two weeks, I could feel my skin, like that layer of fat starting to, you know, your body <laughs> is like, all right, we're building a nest here. Yeah. That I could tell right away. Mm-hmm. And you get so excited and bonded with this idea and of this little person inside of you mm-hmm. and your hormones are kicking and then when you lose it it's really devastating and mm-hmm. um the f- I think it was the first or the second I can't remember Andrew was I don't know probably 13 because he was 14 when Jacoby was born I think maybe 13 and it was 12 13 and we're rushing to the ho- to the ER because I'm you know hemorrhaging and he's like Mom, but have you told them? And he runs up to the, you know, ER desk and is like, my mom is bleeding. I mean, he was so supportive mm-hmm. and, you know, so into it. And he was so bummed. Did that feel pretty isolating at the time? Or did you, do you feel like you had some support around you to process that kind of grief? Um, I think thinking back... I don't think I pro- I have a tendency to head think things before I heart think them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this, I grew up with three brothers and my dad was a Marine and it's like, you don't cry, mm-hmm. you move on. And so that's kind of my instilled, like how you deal with things. Um, if you're having a tough time, go shoot some baskets or go <laughs> kick a ball or something, you know? Right. Um, and so my first reaction is, isn't to always go like talk it out right I mean I've developed that over time but that was especially way back then Mm -hmm. um so I think I wasn't even aware of all that pain and suffering sort of that was happening and just sort of moved on Mm -hmm. um yeah and so I don't think I would have even reached out. Um, I did, after Jacoby, have another miscarriage. So we did try to have another one. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it was interesting then what a different space I was in. Hmm. You know, and how um, other women in our church then had come up to me and started, you know, um, sharing their stories. And so it was a whole different sort of processing for me. Wow. on that one there's this one story I love of um, oh gosh I can't remember his name Covey who who does the seven habits of highly effective people Mm. or I think boy it's been so long but this is like one of those old AT&T trainings okay Um, that this guy is in in the hospital and um, he's got his kids in the elevator and they're coming down and there's this lady there and these kids are jumping 
up on this elevator and they're pushing this button. This lady is freaking out because she's afraid of elevators, right? <laughs> and she's like, dude, you need to like take care of your kids. And he's like, oh, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry. We just came. My, I, my wife just passed away and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wow, now how does that picture look so different? Mm-hmm. And how we look at things is so um, jaded by our own perception. And so many times I try to look at things and go, who knows what they just heard or what did they just go through? Right. And that, you know, somebody with road rage, who knows <laughs> what they're maybe going through? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, you can't control it anyway. Yeah. So why not? Yeah, it softens your heart towards these things yeah. that maybe we have no idea are going on. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You're a young mom. You have a 14-year-old and then Jacoby, a little guy. And then and you're married to David. And at, I want to know at what point you and David were like, let's be foster parents. <laughs> <laughs> yes, talk, tell us about those conversations or what, what sparked. Okay. Well, we never really, this wasn't like, you know what? We really want to be foster parents. Mm, this yeah. wasn't like a conversation we had. We had actually originally, when we still lived in Ohio, when I had the miscarriage after Jacoby, and we'd kind of gotten excited to get a sibling for him, mm. we had decided that maybe we would adopt so we could get a kiddo closer in his age. And... um so we went through the training there, which was an awesome training. And then we quickly came back to Colorado. So it was just sort of like tabled it. Oh, well, it didn't, you know, work out. And um, they had offered a retirement package um, at work. And so I said, okay, I can see the writing on the wall. I'm taking it. And sure enough, six months later, every the whole department I worked with got sold off and they lost all their benefits. So I was so blessed by that. But so I was home. I was retired. And um, first time ever, you know, it was almost 25 years. So, I mean, I worked straight through um, Jacoby's pregnancies and everything. So it was like, wow, I get to be like a stay-at-home mom. And, you know, started, you know, teaching a class at the school and all these different things. It was fun. Mm -hmm. But one day I got a phone call from my husband's niece, but she called crying from California in jail that they'd taken her kids. So asked if we would take them. So it's like, well, you know, it's all God's plan, right? It's like, I'm home, I'm not working. How hard could this be? Well, so (laughs) my older son stayed in Ohio when we transferred back here. And so we just had Jacoby, who was an only child. And here he is, 11, and we bring in these three pretty wild kids. And so it was a rude awakening for all of us. <laughs> we completely doubled our house and the volume level by... Skyrocketed. <laughs> yeah. That was always Jacoby's biggest complaint. Can I just have quiet? <laughs> so um, that's how we got started. Wow. And so it really started a, what we say has become our niche and we're kind of known for in the foster community is because we work so closely with the mom and dad to get their kids back because mm-hmm. we clearly didn't want to raise their kids. 
we wanted to help them go back mm-hmm. into a better environment. And so um, they went back and a year later came back in care. And oh, wow. the oldest one at that time was about to start high school and said, can I stay with you? Cause I want stability to finish at Broomfield High. Oh, and, go Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> and so he stayed um, with us and uh, is now going to see you. And the other two little ones went back with the mom, and the mom's been sober for like nine years. Wow, so cool. So they're, yeah, it's a really good success story. Wow. Once they went home, they just kept calling us. The county did. The county did. Yeah. <laughs> we have these kids. Right. <laughs> and once you hear the story, it's so hard to say no. Yeah. And so we just kept going. It's been almost 20 years. Wow. Of saying yes. Yeah. Wow. Even after we said we've retired, then we still said yes again. <laughs> so where is Jacoby now? So Jacoby's residence is New York City. Um, he's started his own business. He's quite oh, cool. the entrepreneur. So where is Andrew at right now? So Andrew is married and has five kids. Oh, fun. Yeah, lives in Dal- outside of Dallas, Texas, and um, works for an insurance company. He's got five kids, age 16 to 6. All the boys are B, Brigham and Beckham, and all the girls are T, Tatum, Tegan, and Tessa. That's awesome. So do you enjoy being a grandma? I do, except that they're so far away. Yeah, it's really hard. hard. When we go visit, we try to coordinate with as many of their events, you know, because you miss the play and the tournaments and the games. And I bet you're such a fun grandma. Oh, yeah. And you have current <laughs> foster kids with you right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we came out of, place, out of retirement for this one placement for these two kiddos that we knew. And so it only made sense instead of them going to some strangers because it was supposed to only be a couple months. Um but that was seven months ago. <laughs> so it's kind of like our house is never empty somehow. So then after I um, had retired and did foster care, you know, right. for the first couple kiddos, first few years, then I decided I wanted to go back to school. It's like I always said I wanted to do something for people instead of work, working with people instead of computers. Mm-hmm. So how old were you when you decided to go back to school like that? So I think I was 49 or 50. I said, okay, I don't know if I can do this school thing. It's been like 25 years. Sure. And so I thought, well, let me take a class of just something I like. So I took a nutrition class Hmm. and said, okay, uh, let's just see if I can study, if I can take tests, write papers. And I'm like, okay, I can do this. I'm in. You know, and and I think the message is, um, you know, if there's something you want, don't wait. You know, you think, oh, I'm 50, I'm old. It's like, eh. But it's like life is short and you still got a lot to give and a lot to learn. And Mm -hmm. if there's something you want to do. And as as you grow and have experiences, you change your interests. And um, it's kind of fun to use a different part of your brain and, Mm -hmm. you know. So cool. Yeah. So then did you retire from doing the physical therapy? So what I decided to do is um, 
both David and I had done some training for the state. I'm like, you know, I really want to do more of that. And um, Broomfield County has been awesome. And so we talked with them and decided to, um, they actually contracted us to work closely with training and mentoring foster parents, working with families, which I love. So smart move on their end. Yeah. (laughs) Taking you guys and need an expert. Yes. Well, we felt like we had learned so much and you know, it's something you can only learn through experience. Right. Um, you know, understanding the child welfare system, um, understanding what people go through, understanding trauma. And so, so where we didn't want to do the 24-7 with kids in our home anymore, we still have strong passion. Mm-hmm. And this way we could still make an impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we've worked with several families, like say if you'd had your kids taken away, work with you, coaching you on life skills, how to work to the system, parenting skills, help you get your kiddos back. And so that's been very rewarding. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the key things, you know, thinking in life is really looking at situations from other people's point of view. I think so many times people won't take themselves outside of their self. You know, like, this is my belief. This is the way the world should work. I see the world this way in this one lens. But through these different experiences has forced me are giving me opportunities to look at such different sides. Mm-hmm. Like one of the key ahas for me was when um, our niece, who actually you know had her kiddos taken away, actually lived with us for a while. And she would watch everything I do. And she'd say, Auntie, I even watch how you drive. You put your hands on the wheel like a race car driver. <laughs> I said, well, I always think you never know. People aren't paying attention. you got to be ready. She's like, wow. So, like, how much of an impact without even knowing and realizing her struggles and that as hard as it was, I was so thankful I was on the side of the fence. I was and not hers. Because her side of the fence was so much harder Mm. that it's, um, so looking at it from her side, like, oh, I'm thankful I'm over here. And even though I might get impatient with some of her choices, it's from, you know, her experiences and the lack of parenting that she had. Right. So. Yeah, there's power in empathy. Mm-hmm. Right, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes like that, or trying to, right? Right. Yeah, we never probably fully can, but yeah, seeing past our four walls <laughs> and looking at oh, someone else's walls look a little different than mine, and and that contributes to their choices, decisions, patterns, and just having the even openness to go. Oh, gosh, maybe I could see some of this a little differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So that's so good. Yeah. So I'm curious, as we talk about this place of empathy and this journey that you've had, um, do you believe in God? Do you have a faith that's a pillar in your life? I'd love to hear more about that. Um, absolutely. Um, I do believe in God and... I couldn't have gone, gotten through a lot of 
these things that we've done without it, mm-hmm. without his protection, guidance, wisdom, caring, love, and patience with me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I did not become a Christian until my mid-40s. When I was, my dad was Catholic and my mom was Protestant, which was a big deal, right? Big difference in those days. And um, where we should have been going to church every Sunday, right, as a good Catholic. My dad was a semi-pro golfer, so you know where he was. (laughs) And my mom was not going to take us to a Catholic church. And so we didn't really go at all. Hmm. So David and I, once we had moved back to Ohio, which was where he grew up, and, um, you know, church was a big part of his family culture very strong apostolic um, church his family was raised in. Um, we were there a couple years, and um, he, a friend of his invited him to go to church, went one day, and he's like, oh, Lynn, you got to come. This pastor's awesome. Hmm. So we started going. It was very intimidating to me. One, you know, I really didn't know. I always said, all I know is there's a Jesus and a Mary, and I don't know any other stories. Mm-hmm. You know, because as a kid, I never learned any of that. So it was very intimidating. And then you're in your mid-40s, and people just assume you know stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was a black church of about 800 people. Five of us were white. And so... Of course, you stuck out like a sore thumb, and everybody's watching you. <laughs> um, but they were awesome, very loving, very welcoming. It was an awesome experience, and that's where I you know, got to know God. I'd be interested, have there been moments, you know, because you witness so much trauma and pain and hardship in the work you do with foster care, has that caused any crisis of faith? Well, it's always a challenge to wonder. I mean, when I look and see how blessed I am, wondering how did I get to be again on this side of the fence? Will we ever know and understand? You know, I don't know. But it is, um, you know, being very thankful and um, using those gifts and opportunities that he's given you um, where you can. It is sort of challenging to um, wise, and I find sometimes the wise get you down a rabbit hole that to nowhere. Yeah. Right. And even if we did know, would it help? Would yeah. It, would it change anything? Maybe, probably not. Yeah, it'd probably be worse, right? Because then we think we knew it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't want to know it we all. We already think we know it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> So we're actually having all of our guests answer two of the same questions um, every time. And so I want to ask you these. Uh, The first one being, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, usually first to go to the bathroom. (laughs) That was my answer, (laughs) Lloyd. And always wondering, can I push this news button one more time? (laughs) I'm a really a list maker, a task person. And it's usually like, okay, what's on my list today? Mm-hmm. I got to get up. I got to get started. I got to make progress today. <laughs> and um, that's usually kind of my driving force. Although I do have to admit to an addiction that I do have. 
And that is, I am a Pokemon trainer. No, you're not. <laughs> what? Oh my I gosh. I love Pokemons. Well, I should say, I'm not as much in love with the whole Pokemon thing as I love the behavior that striving for Pokemons drives. Hmm. <laughs> because you can be going for a walk and you're like, that Pokemon gym is just another half a mile up the road. Let's go there, and it'll get me to walk further and further and further. <laughs> and so um, sometimes it's like, i got to get up and go get my Pokemons before I do blah, 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 blah. That is the best. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Lynn, Pokemon trainer. <laughs> New email signature. Yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. I love that. Oh, my goodness. I even used it for one of my foster girls that came back. Um, to have a baby, to stay in the house after she had a baby, to get her to go walking. Yeah. After she had a baby, I'm like, okay, download Pokemon. <laughs> Let's go. That's <laughs> great. Oh, man. That might be like every answer now forever will be we'll measured always, up to, yeah. <laughs> to yours. We'll fail in comparison. <laughs> so the last question that uh, we want to ask you is, Kind of the mirror of that is what keeps you up at night? I guess the biggest thing is, um, and it's funny because I was talking with my husband about it this morning, like, what keeps me up at night? And I think the biggest thing is I've gotten better at not worrying about things I don't control. And so I don't stay up at night as much worrying about stuff except is that oh don't forget tomorrow you got to do this and this and this <laughs> again it's that task list yeah that you know once you're in the middle of the day and all these distractions and doing things and people and blah 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 that once you lay down all this stuff then comes to the surface or oh I forgot this or I forgot that I'm notorious for the paper and pad next to my on my nightstand to mm -hmm. write and then once I write it down, I can let it go. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming here today and sharing parts of your story. And uh, we've I've really enjoyed listening to these parts of your life. And I appreciate you being vulnerable and honest with us. And so thank you. Well, thank you. This is a pleasure for me. It was fun. Um, kind of going back in time is, was sort of uh, always interesting things that are so long ago you've forgotten about. This is awesome. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Juniper and Journey podcast. If you heard something that resonated with you or that you have questions about, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Juniper and Journey and slide into our DMs. It would be our treat and total privilege to chat with you. We all have a story. If you'd be interested in sharing yours here on the podcast, please reach out. Bye for now. Cheers.